One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. This is part two of our monthly Q&A show. I'm Neil White and with me today are Graham Hunter, the host of The Big Interview and Pete Jensen from La Liga Television. They are here to answer questions sent to us by our socios, those listeners who support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. If you wish insight and analysis on the recent adventures of Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, May I divert your ears to part one of this Q&A show, which is the next episode down on your podcast feed. This is part two, and it begins with a question from socio Richard Cosmala. One dear boys, Richard Cosmala in Huddersfield here, hope you're well. Levante, what the hell is going on there? What a mess. I can't believe it. They run that they're on. Probably by the time you read this out, they've won at Betis and all might be good, but obviously Paco went. Uh, I liked him, you know, should have kept him, but... Pereira, Javier Pereira's done nothing so far. No bounce, no new Manchester bounce. Then look, look in big trouble. Uh, don't look like scoring any goals and shipping goals in. And such a shame. They uh, charmed me the last few years, Levante. Obviously, the semi final of the Copper, but what has gone wrong? And is there any chance of them getting out of it? It's just such a shame. The ground's been done up beautifully, but probably going to be one of the best grounds in the uh, Segunda at this rate. Cheers. Yeah, shit, because I think you know already what I feel, but I'll. Um Allow me to expand rather than retort. Um, it makes me really angry, this subject. Back around Easter, um, Levante put on two of the outstanding displays of, of last season, which were to draw 1-1 at the Ciudad de Valencia Stadium and then I think the very next game, midweek draw at home and then off to Metropolitano where they, they took the pants of the champions elect down and threw him in the waste bin and said, go find your knickers. Um, they played with such control and intelligence. When they broke, they broke at pace. They understood exactly where Atleti's weak points were. It was the point at which Atleti had to go through Hades in terms of drop points, self-respect, self-belief. They, they, it will have been that uh, the experience of those four or five days will have been a small part of the reason that Luis Suarez sat in the pitch at the end of the season crying down the phone to his family about, you know, I've shown them all. <clears throat> the larger reason for him was obviously sticking it right up Barcelona and his critics, but the the fact that that wobble was so clear-cut. And from that point onwards, from my judgment at least, Levante's players... 
did what we're all capable of in life and, and formed a circle and patted each other on the back. They passed out the cigars in the port, started picking out beachwear. And we, we've seen this before, but once a malaise like that gets into a squad, particularly in the little dark subconscious corners rather than I'm taking a couple of weeks off, it's, it's, it's a disease that's really hard to cure. There is a cure, which is, you know, Alan Titchmarch sent, sent me this because it's just the same as deadheading and pruning. And, and you get in there and you pick a couple and you go, you're out. And then you say to the rest of them, look, look what we just did. And then the transfusion, so that's not a pyrrhic gesture, is of youth and hunger and talent. And what they, what they did, because these worrying signs began literally from the referee's final whistle at the Metropolitano, and Levante were, were drawing a lot of games, and they weren't an embarrassment, but they weren't at it. The level of commitment to victory, the level of intensity, the, the degree of a phrase that I like, I learned at Johnson & Johnson uh, making um, skins for sausages. Do it right. First time, every time. Well, you know, you wouldn't have bought, you wouldn't have bought sausages of, of that Levante squad for the whole of last season's April and May. And from then on, the fact that they didn't go and attack the squad and get players out and and resuscitate the the drive for places, the the drive for excellence, meant that the club let... Um, they're coached down, and I, I agree with Supercause that, irrespective of whether you got the, the the bounce of a new coach, which if you look at the second half of the Atleti game, they, they did. <laughs> you know this 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 doomed sort of Titanic club at the moment. I've taken well, I can't do my earth. Three games means three times three points is nine. Five out of nine points against Atleti. And they were getting torn apart by Atleti, but the way in which they finished that game and the furore amongst the fans um, to then the next game just be literally as embarrassing as I can remember seeing Levante, I think against Granada, where they were they were third to every ball, not only second. And the fans were like, oh, it was all an illusion. Could it be that? And and the club have let their coach down. Yes, it was it was... It was wrong sacking Lopez because he wasn't the problem. Maybe they can say to him, you should have got the big stick out earlier. Maybe you should have punched one of your players. Maybe you should have been ferocious to them. Maybe they can say, listen, coach, mister, there were things you could have done. But they were like, you know, a thimbleful of, of the problem factors compared to the way that the club's acted. And it's, it's shit because Kiko Catalan has been one of the outstanding presidents of our time in Spain taking a club that couldn't pay its players, couldn't play its debtors, was close to bankruptcy, went down to the second division. He paid everybody, he paid all the players, he built a new stadium, he paid all the debtors and took them into Europe. He has been a literally unbelievable chairman, president. And now they're, now they're going down again, no, no, no two ways about it. Good to hear Graham referencing Johnson & Johnson's legendary pursuit of excellence in the sausage um, processing industry. Um, 
when you take I think when you take over a club there's always there's always one of two advantages there's always one of two things that is massively in your favour either you're taking over a team that's actually in a good situation and maybe the manager's left for better things and you don't touch too much um, the downside is everyone loved the old guy but um, you know it's great because things are going well already and, and you inherit that um, and the other scenario and, and the plus side of the other scenario is you come in and you know the fellow you replaced everyone couldn't stand him couldn't couldn't uh, wait to see the back of him and you come in and the bar is set very low low and I feel a little bit sorry for um for Javier Pereira because he hasn't got any of he hasn't got either of those two advantages they're not in a good situation and everyone loved the last guy so it's very very difficult job for him um was it my imagination or did last season Villarreal um after 50 days of having sacked Javi Calleca decide to actually bring him back that happened didn't it so I, <laughs> I wouldn't like to put a date on so, it, but it did no, happen. That, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that's not not beyond the bounds of, of possibility. They're in a bad place. I mean, um, for weeks now we've been able to say that you know when when they get their players back, when Campania's back and, and Bardi's back and Roger Marti's back, then things will be sorted out. Um, they sign Mustafi in the summer when he can play. But just looking at the team that faced Betis at the weekend. I mean, pretty strong side. No one out injured, really. Malero's still out, Postigo's out. But um, everyone's fit and it's still not working. Um, and um, it, was a, it was a decision when, when Paco Lopez was, was sacked, no one could understand it, and, and even less so because of the run they've been on since his departure. OK, our next question comes from Jake Garlick, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent. Jake asks... Has there been much reaction in Spain to the Premier League's new US TV deal? I'm not entirely sure that, that La Liga is the most outwardly looking place in the world. Are they not concerned with their own business first and foremost? It depends on what Jake's fishing for because I, I think the, the, the drive of the question that I took was about how much media coverage is it. And, 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 and in, in terms of that, you know, it got reported. But that, the, the considered chin-stroking stuff about where are we in comparison to them... Um, it's something that I think you need to be careful about doing in the Spanish media for two clear reasons. One, there's a there's a there's a war going on right now, and it's it's a confusing war because there are mm, there are more than two fronts, and largely it's it's about Rubiales at the head of the federation or the FA. The Rubiales Tebas thing is endemic. It will never go away. Anything that Tebas does will be slated. Anything that the FA come up with, Tebas will be against. But because Florentino thinks he exercises control of a lot of the media, and I have to hand it to Marca. I've been over recently interviewing their editor and, and the way he talks about the way in which they're going to stick to old-fashioned values as much as possible and report what they think is right and if that annoys, so for example, opposing the Super League and, and being critical of of its flaws and its warts, that means that reporting straight, look what the, the Premier League has gained from US money, aren't we doing badly? That's a very, very loaded statement. And I think that one of the ways through it, Jake, would, would be that in Spain at least, there's a growing realisation, um, although not total clarity, about how far behind the Premier League they were. Tebas knew. And I think many of the clubs that had internationally minded board members knew. 
that the Premier League was far ahead in terms of branding, marketing, negotiating, and in terms of making their their product desired. And and La Liga is is involved in a twin process of modernising, a, a tripartite process of modernising, dividing the money better so that, so that more clubs are strong, and and marketing, trying to make people love them, desire them, which is what you've got to do with every product, however you do it. And the fact that the Premier League is able to go out and negotiate a, a total deal, which is far bigger in billions than La Liga is able to, should just be like cats sat on the mat. The Premier League is ahead. Now, the catch-up, Jake, I think, Pete might know better than me, but I think the catch-up effort in general is going really well in terms of structure, in terms of marketing, in terms of awareness. It's a little bit unfortunate that we're out of step because if this was going on, if, if what we've seen, I think Tebas has been in charge of the Liga for about seven years, ballpark. And, and if the progress that is being made under him coincided with the real, real golden age of, of league and international football for Spain, which is probably somewhere around 2006 to, to, to 2016, again, ballpark, and the iconic Spanish players as well as Cristiano at his peak, name who you want. If that, if there was a confluence of all of that, then the gap would be closing quicker. But life is not made like that. You know, there's never a perfect opportunity. You take what you can, you grab it. And while we are looking at the development of maybe young players like Soler and Blanco and Ferran Torres and Ansu and Gavi and Pedri and Nico and whoever else is coming through at all the other clubs... While they're growing, the structure in Spain is different. The prices that they can command for what they're selling is different and it's better. And they merit it more. They're not selling purely on, you know, there's Galacticos at Madrid and Barcelona want to knock them over. The, the message, the, the, the package that they're marketing is bigger, it's better organised, it's more consistent, it's more relentless, it's not without flaws. But there was no way, Jake, that Spain could, I don't think, look over the garden fence and go, look at the car that, that boy's got, you know. It could, well, you know, he's been working 20 years longer than you and, that, and that's the way that material goods go. Pete, do you recognise the sort of change in philosophy, the change in product that Graham's describing there? Yeah, absolutely. Stop selling two clubs and sell the league, um, sell the competition. And that's that's the route Tevers has taken. Um, and that's a good point, actually, Graham, mate. It's not heard anyone say that before, that um, he, 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 he comes in and does all this, but it's in an era when, you know, we're just moving away from what was what was a golden age. And, you know, there'll be another golden age around the corner at some point. But... Um, so he deserves extra credit. In terms of the way it was reported, Jake, I saw one headline saying um, the Premier League uh, follows in the footsteps of uh, La Liga, almost uh, suggesting that the, that the Premier League have thought, hang about, um, the La Liga have got to deal with the Americans. We better um, pull our fingers out. When, of course, the reality is, um, you know, it is much bigger. I think the the deal with um, ESPN was um, was one point was one point one billion, I think, and and this obviously draw, um, overshadows that. But um, that that's not telling Tevez uh, anything that he doesn't already know. He, um, he knows it's it's a major operation, catch up operation, because the Premier League have been doing this for decades, uh, or English British football has been doing this for decades. 
Um, and um, but they are they are making ground. Um, that, that things are changing, and that's all down to you know a very simple change in philosophy. Yes, it's great that we've got Barcelona and Real Madrid, but it's the it's La Liga that, that we're selling. It's the competition that we're selling. Okay, our next question comes from Socio Robert McIntosh. Thank you for sending this one in, Robert. I think we have one eye on Old Trafford and one eye on La Liga here. Are there any examples of interim appointments working well in Spain? Is it just a holding pattern or a try before you buy proposition? So it's an interesting one. Can you think, I mean, as soon as I read that question, I thought there must be a couple of Real Madrid situations that spring to mind. But what... Guys, can you uh, can you dig out of your memory banks in terms of uh, an interim manager that either worked brilliantly or uh, made things even worse than they were before? I, I can dig a Motown single out of my mind. I'm not sure if it if it was the Supremes that just sing. That sang. Bobby Mac, Bobby, oh Bobby Mac, when, when are, are you coming, coming back? Borrow's so the king of the interims, Graham. He is. Hasn't he, he been the interim won. coach at Valencia yeah. about six times? Why has he never been given the job, big old Boro? Uh, uh, not sure. I think I think it would, it would break the spell. He, he's got to come in and know that he doesn't keep the job full time. Um, was Imanol um, an interim at first did, and did, did well? Did, and he, he kept them up and then walked away because it's, it means too much. He was like, bruised like a peach, which you love because he, he bleeds blue and white. And he was like, you know, if, God, if I keep this on this time and I screw it up, I'll... Uh, the, the the maestro the, the big answer in our generation is Dabowski mid-season Toshak sacked and Dabowski's brought in by one president and the late uh, Lorenzo Sanz and then does so well and wins the Champions League that he's, he's kept on by Florentino Perez much against Florentino's wishes <laughs> and then he packed him out eventually but I, I think he'd be Right up there, wouldn't he? It, it was interesting that um, obviously it was United looking for the interim um, coach, and it was interesting that, that 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 quite a few wanted the job despite the fact that you know you had that interim on the job title, and and uh, Nesta Valverde definitely wanted the job. Um, you know he's been out of the game for some time now, um, and um, he felt that um, if he got the job, albeit on a temporary basis, he would do well enough to keep it. And he was one of those that had a meeting. And in the end, obviously, they've gone down a different route. Um, but, you know, you take your chance. And, and if you prove yourself, and he thought that he would at United, um, um, then it's a, it's a risk worth taking. But it was a sign from, for me, that the fact that he was interested in it, that Valverde's ready to come back to football. And um, I'd like to see him come back to Spain, but I, th- I think it'll probably be, probably be elsewhere. Also, uh, there was a little interesting cameo from... Sedorf at Deportivo La Coruña that very nearly um, saved them and I enjoyed that and there was one, if you remember Radian Teach at Barcelona where he comes in to take over I think from Van Hal, and they're in a terrible situation and he hauls them up the table to get a UEFA Cup place and their run is so good that it's only when they lose at Celta Three, four games to go. I think after a very healthy run that they, you know, that they, that they fall completely out of contention for uh, Champions League and potentially a strange title bid, an, un- an unexpected title bid. And I remember thinking at the time, Radian Teach was really unlucky that as as the um, what you call it, the elections happened, that meant that there was no danger of him being maintained. But I thought he did 
did brilliantly and I also thought he was fun to be around. Also now sadly departed along. He's up there playing uh, head foot tennis with Lorenzo Sanz. And of course we shouldn't forget that pretty much every manager at Real Madrid is an interim manager. They're just, just not told when they're... <laughs> <laughs> if you ever if you ever speak to Carlos Carpio, who's assistant director at Marca, he, he he tells a tale of phoning up to Florentino in the midst of a signing flaring. But Florentino, Florentino, what? Who who's how? Who are the criteria? Who's the director of football? You're speaking to him. So um, it, yeah, it's different gravy at Madrid. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up this month's Q&A shows with a look at what's happening at Football Club Barcelona. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we're back with two final questions, both on Barcelona, one from our sponsors, Bet365, and one from Socio, Harrison Schooler. So we're going to start with Harrison, and then we're going to zoom out to something sort of more general about um, Xavi's... Hello, H. Welcome, H. Here we go. He says, Hi, Graham and Pete. I was wondering what you've made of Memphis so far at Barcelona. I've just finished watching Villarreal Barcelona 3-1, and yet again... He's contributed to a goal. He's been involved in 10 in La Liga. That's 40% of Barcelona's total. We are a math pod. Also, what are your thoughts on a potential front three of Depay, Fati and Ferran Torres, for whom an approach was, or the early stages of an approach, has been confirmed by Barcelona? So, Graham, let's start with um, you on Harrison's points. I think, um, as Pete and Doug used to say, so he took my point and he led me by the point to the station. And given that there are three of us, let's admit that that makes us a polymath pod. Um, Memphis, so I'm going to do a reverse Vinicius here. Memphis is a dud. The thing is, you can see the things that he's good at and he doesn't do them. You know, it's, it's, it's like he's, he's a guy who's still got the show. You know, the, hey, Bailey and Barnum are in town running his head in that he's a reasonable athlete. He's definitely technically skilled. He's got the anarchic explosive in his brain. But in terms of, never mind percentage finishes, percentage decisions, how alert he is when something doesn't go for him. One of the key litmus tests you, you can do about any good player is in, in the four or five seconds after something goes against him, goes wrong for him or her, um, when bad luck intervenes, what happens next? 
Are, are they are they are they like a tiger ready to pounce? Are they back up and he he is consistently going, oh, oh woe is me. Why always Memphis? Because you don't work hard enough. Weaken up, use your talent, run a little bit more, compete a little bit more. It's honestly, it, it's a long time since any individual footballer frustrated me this much because nobody could dispute that he has the power to, to stun us. Nobody can dispute the number of points that his goals and assists are are creating for Barcelona across this season. Yet, you know, that total, I genuinely believe, is at about 45% of where it should be. And what's worse, it's not the net total. Because the number of times he kind of gives the ball away, not, and this is a real fine microscope point, not in the way that Chabi stopped training the other day to say in a rondo, when everybody's pointing at each other and who've lost the ball. Football's a game of mistakes. Never mind that. Have your target ready, where you're going to pass the ball, get your touch right and do it. And do it again. And in the press conference before the game, um, where did they play this weekend? Villarreal. So it's not about only about finishing, it's about the daring. We, we, we just need to be a little bit more daring, show a little bit more, I mean, gallusness, we can say, for those who are listening in Scotland. That's not the types of mistakes that that Chabby's saying. I, I'll, I'll I'll accept that because that was a risk for us. Memphis sort of drops his head or dro- drops his concentration and gives the ball away, and then he, he gets his head lost and gives it away. And bosh, because everybody's moved into positions where they want to support him. Barcelona are caught with their arse hanging out of their trousers and away down the pitch go the other side. So the net product he gives is not the same as the gross product. And it, this this diatribe isn't meant to be personal because um, he's one of the entertainers. He's clearly a high-class sportsman. But in terms of realising your potential, in terms of learning from greats around you, it, to me, he's a fraud. I keep coming back to, to the Koeman phrase, it is what it is. And I think, you know, back last summer, you know, they were rattling the tins, no money. Um, and Koeman says, well, you know, we can get Memphis on a free. Um, and, and it is what it is. He's very inconsistent. He started the season really well. I thought his attitude was brilliant at the start of the season. I thought in Barcelona needed someone to stand up and stick their chest down and say, I, I'm here, don't worry. The, you know, Elvis has left the building, but we've still got Memphis kind of thing. And um, he delivered. And the goal against Athletic was brilliant. But he then, he then has a four or five game run where he's awful. Um, and the last couple of games, he's been back on it. Um, well, well so, done, Pete. I don't mean to be rude, but if you take away the assist and, and the goal against Villarreal, I thought he was atrocious the other day. Atrocious in terms of what the team needed when they were under pressure, decision-making. Now, you're right, back on it in terms of... There, there are three points that if you ignore the, the penalty... There's three points that, that will go down on Memphis's tab. I accept it. But if you look at the game as a whole, particularly in terms of the needs that this side has with a lot of players that are raw in confidence, and a lot of young players, his responsibilities change. How you protect the ball, uh, how rarely you, you, you give it away, particularly in bad situations. 
Finishing is not the thing I'm, I'm chasing him for because, OK, he missed two, you know, blindingly good chances. The first one is odd and he should score. The second one where it comes across and he opens his boot and he, he makes all kind of a hash of, you know, it's a real my left foot situation that he, you know. But, but decision-making, work ethic, positional choices. He's you, Your point about stepping into a void and Elvis had left the building, he's, but, you know, he's... he's you know, he's fat Elvis and he's he's sequined Elvis and it's like, oh, it's all about the show. Yeah, and he's the only Elvis that Barcelona can afford at the moment. For the meantime, yeah. So, And I also think he's got a very steep learning curve under Xavi because mm. Xavi wants him to be that that sort of false nine. Um, he wants him to be dropping in so that the space opens up for Frankie de Jong and for Nico to charge into. Uh, and that's, you know, that may ultimately be beyond him. And, and I think you're right in that, in that sense. It's, been, it's appeared to be beyond him in the first two games as well. Um, but, um, I mean, the one thing he's got to change is the celebration because he sticks his fingers in his ears. And that's fine, but you can't do what he did against Espanyol, which was lift his hand so that the crowd raised the volume and then put his fingers <laughs> in his ears. I mean, either you want them to make a noise or you don't. Um, I think, and just getting back um, to to the to the question in terms of that as a front three, Dembélé, Memphis, and Ansu. I think if 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 Barcelona are going to go places next season, then Ansu needs to be the only survivor in that in that line of three going into next season. Oh, socios! There's a Dembo shout, socio. So we have we haven't necessarily got time to do the full Dembo now, but socios, get your questions into Pete about why Dembo must be bumped. Fiery stuff. Let's let's zoom the focus out a little bit and finish this Q and A. Um, the the talk about Memphis there began to focus on the new head coach at Camp Now. Our sponsors Bet Three Six Five ask realistically, what can we expect from Xavi over the next eighteen months? Um, I suppose this season trophy trophy or trophies, Neil. Trophy or trophies this season. Yeah. They're eminently capable of winning two games and lifting the Spanish Super Cup. Semi-finals against Real Madrid in January. So it's just round the corner. Um, just in time to have, you know, a relatively fit squad. Pedri will be back. If they're not re-injured, Pedri will be back. Ansu will be back. Dembele will be fit. Um, they, they, should, they should win that trophy. Um, it's eminently feasible that they can win the Copa del Rey, which... It, it, it would be rare that a Copa del Rey win last season included could, could feel so important. Pro- probably still more important than last season felt. Messi's last season it turned out and they lifted a trophy and they did it in extremis with a great comeback story against Seville. The second semi-final being absolutely a blinding night. I, I don't know whether they're going to pe- I don't... I. I am not clear if they're going to be in the Champions League or in the Europa League after match day six because Bayern are are coughing and spluttering, but you know unless Barcelona are, are extraordinarily better than they've been, then winning at the Allianz seems extreme. A draw might not be enough. Dinamo Kiev are the ones they need to keep them in the Champions League. Dinamo Kiev need to do them a big big favor against Benfica, and. Therefore, if they're in the Europa League, really, there's no bouncing around the fact that they have to win it. I've been pretty stunned by how how, how different they've been under Xavi. I thought it would take much longer. Um, I think um, 
Abdi's a massive bonus as well. Um, I always stuck up for Koeman when people said, yeah, you've got to play wingers at Barcelona. Well, where are the wingers? Well, Abdi was there and he looks... Um, he looks like he can he can participate for for the rest of the season as a first team player. Nico's another major plus, but Chavi to me um, in the first three games in charge has already shown me enough to to say that he's going to be as good as Guardiola. He he, he won't necessarily achieve what Guardiola achieved because he has hasn't got Messi, but um, he's got the same clear vision of football. He sees the game the same way, and by that I don't mean he's got the same philosophy. I mean. Like the the grand masters of chess, he's he's ten moves ahead of everyone else. Where well, I'm still asking, you know, what does the horse do again? He's <laughs> um, and um, and also not not just as he got the vision, the philosophy, but he can clearly articulate it, and he can articulate it, and, and he can make players understand, um, and he can make them believe that they can do it, and, and make them believe that they should do it. All that is evidently there in just three games. You can see that stands out a mile. Um, and um, so, what can he achieve this season? Yeah, I agree with Graham. A trophy, um, whether it's the whether it's just the Super Cup or whether it can be the Copa del Rey and or the Europa League as well. Who knows? Maybe that maybe Bayern. You know, don't don't worry too much about their last group game and they do squeeze through. Although. Graham's, Graham's shaking his head at that idea. It's Bayern uh, Munich. Graham, it's Bayern yeah, Munich there. Graham, uh, Bayern haven't not worried about a game since what, you know, a good few decades. Um, neither of you, neither of you can see Barcelona, you know, progressively growing under Xavi and and threatening uh, a, a sort of more open title race where people are, you know, there's bloodletting. Well, all that, that's for me to to bloodlet myself because at the start of the season I thought that Barcelona could win the title and I said so. And I, I don't mind being wrong. And I also won't be one of those journalists that just defends his, his point blindly. I don't want to take back the essence of what I was saying. Um, with Pedri more regularly available and Ansu more regularly available and Kun Aguero more regularly available and with the hope that Kuman wouldn't last. I, I I thought then and I... And I don't think it was outlandish to talk about winning the title. Now, the fact that Kuhn's not going to play for Barcelona again, I don't think. Ansu is, is just already, he's as sad, it's as sad as it is uplifting in doses because, you know, until we see him tuck away, you know, 85% of a year playing with just your normal bumps and bruises and rests, you're going to worry. You're going to fear for... It's what's happening right now simply a part of having been out a year and you're going to get intermittent problems until you're through that. Or are we dealing with somebody who's who's not been put together properly again? And, and fucked if I know. Chavi, for, for socios, the, the change in the departments of, of fitness, physio, medical has been... It's been a purge. I mean, there's... Bodies everywhere, stethoscopes hanging off the pegs in the changing room, and and one of them in particular, Pruna, Doctor Pruna, ha, has been regarded around the world and and has as as the, one of the best and and was crucially important over Barcelona's greatest years, and he's still young and vital, and he fell out politically because he he, he backed a, the other candidate, and Javi to get him back is is extraordinary, extraordinary. 
So maybe we'll start to see fewer problems for Dembele for as long as he stays at the club or, or Pedri now that the, the rehab for him or, or Ansu. But in terms of your question, you know, the gap without a flow of killer goals, it doesn't have to be, you know, that they score 90 goals between now and May, but they don't kill teams. And to, to ask that of an Ansu at that age with as, as many physical troubles as he's had, is I think, I think now is probably too much. Yeah, it's 10 points now, isn't it? So it's, it's probably tough ask to, for them to challenge for the title. But to get back into the top four is going to be difficult enough. Um, what are they now? Five points off of Sevilla. I mean, they need a collapse of sorts from Sevilla or Real Sociedad. Probably it's not going to come from Atletico or Real Madrid. Uh, and they need to go on a long run and um, they struggle in the last 10-15 minutes of the game the matches at the weekend was extraordinary because they were gone they were gone at all levels there was only one team going to win it and then suddenly they get the two goals and they win it um, so um, you know they're running on the spirit that, um, that um, Chavi's injected into them at the moment but they're not going to win the league um, I, I can see them getting in the top four now which I couldn't maybe um, you know a few weeks back Okay, so we're unhappy um, with the performance of Barcelona's false nine, Memphis. We don't think they've got the goals to uh, close the gap at the top of La Liga. Chris Hennigan, socio, says, Graham, just a very simple one from me. Griezmann, it's starting to happen for him, isn't it? I mean, does this Barcelona season, for example, look very different if he was still at the club? Under Xavi, Chris, Neil, yes. I think that um, Griezmann is... You know, he's a very strange animal in that he's he's far too nice a guy to be as talented as he is. And by nice in this modern football world, that can sometimes read as soft. Um, there were two things, I think, that really were amiss at Football Club Barcelona. One was his ability to convert what he thought he was coming to, um, which was coming to learn the Barca language at a time when they'd become dyslexic, his ability to convert what he thought he should be doing or what he thought he was coming to do into just... Um, is a completely new situation. I have to relearn all my... reconnect all my synapses. That took too long and undermined him. The second thing that was a problem was that it, it's, it, it's a real... It's a school of hard knocks. It's a far harder place to to find oxygen than Atleti is. Atleti may be demanding, but it's a very clear-cut system. It's a very, the daily system, the attitudes, the behaviours, the what's expected of you. And Simeone is a very, very different animal than Koeman. Much more uh, cercano, they say in Spain. What does that mean? He's much more in your mind, arm around the shoulder, unless you're a waster, um, a psychologist as well as a coach, perfect for Griezmann. Absolutely. When when um, both Pete and I are lucky enough to know that um, to know somebody that works closely with Griezmann, and when Griezmann was at <clears throat> Barcelona, he Simeone was in constant contact with him. Not not all trying to recruit him, urging him on, talking to him about his game. They're close. They're really tight. And Chris, I think that. What we're seeing now, one is a resumption of that um, that bond um, in red and white, 
It's also uh, Griezmann finding fitness, sharpness. The, the training regime at, at Barcelona didn't help him in that. It, it's not like people don't turn up or sleep drunk in the in the gym like they used to with Deco and Ronaldinho, but it's like months and months of of it being at you know eighty five percent instead of a hundred percent every hour of every day. Now that's not the case at Leipzig, and that's benefited him too. So all these things, all these micro. When we put the footballers like Griezmann under so much stress, Chris, these these micro bleeds that you have, as as Tony Hancock would say, can lead to you losing a pint. And um, one thing we all have to protect in these times is our pints. And that's our show for today. Uh, thanks for listening to both parts of this Q and A. Thank you to Pete Jensen and to Graham Hunter and to the socios who sent in their questions from patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. We'll be back soon with more big interviews. For now, thank you very much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye.